Well, tonight we're finishing finishing up the call of Ezekiel. In chapters 2 and 3, we'll see the the finishing up of, of this. You're going to see that Ezekiel is told some uh, told very firmly to speak the words of God to a rebellious people. This is the people who will not listen. This is the people who will not heed the words that are spoken. But he's given a very stern warning of what will happen if he does not warn them. And if he does not speak to them. So I put the question out there on the Facebook uh, feed. How can we be sure that the words we speak are the words of God? And is there a penalty for us not doing so as there was with Ezekiel? Is there a penalty on us for not speaking the words of God? Because there certainly was one on Ezekiel. And we'll also get into this as to why in the world would Ezekiel want to do a job that there's a penalty for if you don't do it right. (laughs) So Ezekiel chapter 2, just the end of uh, chapter 1, just to pick it up. said, "This, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, saw the glory of the Lord, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. Chapter 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him who spoke to me. Now this is a very common response that people have when they see the presence of God as they fall. They fall on their knees. And you're going to see here with Ezekiel that God wants none of it. As soon as he falls to his knees, Son of man, stand on your feet. And I will speak to you. I get from that statement there that maybe he's not going to speak to him down on the ground. I want you up on your feet. Every time I, I read a, a verse like this, I, I always think of a, a, a sermon I heard. I think it's close to 40 years ago. How many of you remember a sermon you heard about 40 years ago? <laughs> I remember this one. I remember being there. I remember the lady who was preaching. Um, I think I still remember her 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 name, Havana, uh, or Verna, something something like that. Tompkins. Anybody ever heard of her? Yeah, probably probably not. She, but um, I remember she she was appeared out at the creation festival, and she was uh, exhorting and teaching people on the presence of God, and he said it's about time. I, I think she had in particular she was talking about people being slain in the spirit. And you know how people just, as soon as this presence of God comes, they just kind of fall over and they just kind of tip over. And, and I just loved what it was that she had to say on it. And she said, uh, it's about time that people started standing up in the presence of God instead of falling over all the time. I thought, man, I've never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> and maybe one of the reasons why that message was so memorable to me. And while uh, all these decades later, I still still remember it. But he says here, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Sometimes we're just a little too quick to fall when we feel the presence of God. Sometimes we just need to stand up and, and receive what it is that you have. I've seen some ministers, they're, they're laying hands on people and they just kind of fall and then they just kind of move on to somebody else. Once in a while I've seen somebody said, I'm not done yet. <laughs> they go on over there and they... They uh, pick them back up. Who was it over here used to used to do that? They come on out and they yeah, pick them back up. I'm not done with them yet. <laughs> so uh, uh, 
Sometimes, just because the Spirit of God comes on you, it's not always reverence to fall. Sometimes we, we want to be reverent in the, in the presence of God, but um, that's not always something that He desires or that He wants. Sometimes He wants you to stand there in the presence of God so He can talk with you and deal with you. And this is what He, what he wanted here. He said, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when He spoke to me. And set me on my feet. So the Spirit of God came and entered him. And basically it says it picked him up. Set him on his feet. I guess God really wanted him to be standing up. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent, and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And we talked about that verse a little bit on Sunday. But of course we can't just skip over it. But here it says, that For they are impudent and stubborn. Now the Greek, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew words, and again I'm not a Hebrew scholar, student, or in any ways studied on the Hebrew language. Uh, I think I've told you before, it has no appeal to me. I, I just don't like it. <laughs> I love Greek. Absolutely love Greek. And everything that Greek is, Hebrew is not. It is, um, I don't know that there's any similarities to French, but you know how French is more of an emotional language and it's more, uh, it doesn't necessarily follow certain rules and it's, uh, uh, it's a very beautiful language and all these kind of things and all that that makes it a language I, ha- I want no part with. <laughs> and Hebrew is kind of the, the same, same kind of a thing for me. So I rely on other people for this. And so I look these, these words up. They're not used a whole lot. Uh, Ezekiel uses them a few times. But he says, I am sending you to, and he uses these two particular words here, and he's going to use them again before we, we get done, to describe the children of Israel. And what is interesting is that when he uses this first word, kashe, uh, that it translated it completely different in the next one, and uses the second word and translates it he, here like it did the um, first one. Just interchange the, the words. It's very interesting the way that they had done that. And it's not like they were that far apart. They're two chapters. Chapter two and chapter three. You would think, alright, we just translated this word impotent. Uh, why in the word don't we just keep it the same? But they didn't do that. He says, uh, basically these are, these are rebellious, stubborn. The word there, the first word, means hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and obstinate. That's the Hebrew word, not the, not the English word. Hard-hearted, stiff-necked, obstinate, and stubborn children. He said, I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. Now, he doesn't say what thus says the Lord God is. He just says, when you go to them, this is what you say. Thus says the Lord God, and then you repeat whatever it is that I have said to the people at that time. As for them, whether they hear, whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now he's going to repeat this a couple of times for 
for him during this call, whether they hear or whether they refuse. It is no bearing on Ezekiel if they hear or they refuse. Because he says they're a rebellious house. I'm sending you to them. But just know they're stubborn. They're stiff-necked. They're hard-hearted. They don't hear well. They don't hear the things of the Spirit well. But I'm sending you to them. So when you when you go, this is what you say. Thus says the Lord. So what we do know is that he's not just supposed to go in there and just uh, preach to them. He is supposed to get in there and declare to them, thus says the Lord, and then say what it is that the Lord says. He said, don't worry about whether they accept it or not. You're not there to make it more palatable. You're there to say what I said. Because sometimes we may hear a word from God. Well, how can I, um, how can I make that so to hear it better? Have you ever had to deliver a message? Maybe a boss or a parent sent you on a mission. You know, go tell your brothers or sister this message or go tell some coworker this message and they tell it to you and you say, that person's not going to like it if I say it that. Have you ever had that happen? You can just kind of hear them. They're not going to like that. And you try and, and make the message so that they'll accept it. And you kind of stop. Well, I'm going to kind of take this message. I know what he's trying to say. I know what she's trying to say. But I'm going to take that and deliver this in a way that I know that they'll hear it. And what God is saying is, don't do that. I'm not asking you to make this so that they'll hear it. I'm not asking you to try and change it in any way to make it more palatable for them or that they might receive it a little bit better. The reception is not the goal. What you are to do is make sure that you say, thus says the Lord, and then say what I said. So he's getting this down in this call. This is, this is real important. Because sometimes our motivation can become that we would have success in bringing the message. That the people would receive the message. But God says, that's neither here nor there. You are not to concern yourself with whether they receive the message, whether they like the message, whether they reject the message. That is not your concern. Your concern is, hear the word of the Lord and deliver it. And when you do say, thus says the Lord. So he's given them very clear instructions. And he's telling them ahead of time, they're rebellious people. But he does say this, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So in other words, God's going to do some things and to, and to demonstrate that God has been, that this is God's man. Now that's the God side of things. Brother Hagin used to always tell us that whenever there was a, a teaching, he said, he said there's always a God side and there's always a man side. There's a God side, this is what God does. And there's a man side, this is what we're supposed to do. We have to focus on what is our part to do and let God focus on what is His part to do. The enemy likes to try and get us to focus more on what's God's part and less on what's our part. But uh, So he would always break down teaching in that way and say there's a God side and there's a man side. So in, in light of that, that's the God side. That's what God's going to do. God's going to deliver the message. God's going to tell you the words to speak. And God's going to make it as palatable as it needs to be. You just deliver the word. But here's the, here's the man side. This is our side. Verse 6, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor afraid of their words. It's easy to, easy to do. It doesn't mean that the, that we have fear because we're afraid that 
the recipients are going to beat us up. Sometimes it may just be enough that they won't like us. They won't think good of us. Whatever it might be. He says, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Now, how many of you are afraid of scorpions? We don't see them around here too much, do we? <clears throat> My dad used to tell me stories when he was going through uh, the, the western part, and he said uh, they would take their shoes off, you know, and, and they'd go to sleep in sleeping bags, and they'd wake up. He said, you always have to dump your shoes out because scorpions would get in there. And, you know, you, you don't find that out until you put your shoe on. That's <laughs> not a good thing. I've seen pictures where there's snakes inside the shoes. Yeah, I'd rather see a scorpion than I would a snake. Because uh, scorpions, just they don't, they don't move as fast. Now, you can get out of the way of a scorpion. Snakes are a little quicker. I don't like snakes. But anyway. Now, he says, Though briars and thorns are with you, you will dwell among scorpions. Now, most people don't want to dwell, dwell among scorpions. We don't want to dwell among snakes. I know people don't want to dwell among spiders. We don't, we don't like them. We had the, the uh, grandchildren with us, you know, for the, for the weekend while, um, Alyssa and Nikolai were taking the youth out. So we had the, the young ones. And so, uh, one of the things we did, we took them over to an old pet shop of mine. I, I know the owner of the, the place and he used to do a lot with saltwater fish. He doesn't anymore. He had switched it all over and now he's selling spiders. One of the conversations I had with him was, he said, you wouldn't believe how many spiders I sell. Tarantulas. You know, furry spiders. And um, big ones, little ones, all sorts of stuff. And he had a whole room for them there before, and he changed it around a lot since the last time we were there. But uh, we were uh, walking on through, and you know, the first part has all the nice little pets in it, and the ferrets, and the parrots, and the turtles, and the tortoises, and uh, fun stuff like that. So they were just having a ball, and they were just you know looking at all these different things. And then we go back into the back room, and we're looking at the fish, and all of a sudden we came upon the new area where they put the spiders. And little girl is, is acting a lot more like <clears throat> a girl. Doing my best to hold that off, but <laughs> I, I tried to get her over there and say, she, she saw them spiders and she just got all, all weirded out and, and made noises I don't usually hear her make. <clears throat> and so uh, I tried to pick her up and let her see it and I, she would no part of it. No part of being picked up and seeing that. And she just uh, decided to exit the room, so I picked up little boy. And he thought this was fascinating. So uh, he and I will go into the spider room from now on and have fun with the, have fun with the spiders. But uh, yeah, they can really weird some people out. And they classify the spiders on there. They get little dots on them. And the, these ones are more venomous than these other ones. And um, Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not motivated to, to own a spider. <clears throat> Keep one in any way. I'll just go to the pet store and take a look at them every now and then. But he says, you're going to be residing in these areas. There are going to be briars and thorns. They're going to be with you. They're not fun to be around. They're always picking at you, sticking you. And then there's going to be scorpions. Now, the thing about scorpions is very few of them can kill you. Most people think they're very deadly. There's uh, very few of them that can actually kill you. Most of them just hurt a lot. It's, uh, not, it's a lot more than a bee sting. A whole lot more than a bee sting. And... Um, 
but there are not, I don't know how many exactly there are that, that can be fatal, but um, it's, it's very, very low. Most of them just give you a really nasty sting and it will hurt for a while. So he's not giving them something of uh, the, these uh, examples of are able to kill you, but they sure can make life uncomfortable. He says, don't be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. How many have ever gotten a look from somebody? And you can tell what that look is. I mean, that's not a nice look. He says, don't be dismayed by their looks. They're going to give you looks. They are a rebellious house. This is who they are. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. So there we get it again. Whether they hear or whether they refuse. Don't you be concerned about the end product here. Just speak my words to them. Don't be afraid of their words. You make sure you speak my words. The results are not on you as long as you speak the words that God gives you. Now, if you alter the word that God spoke, then the results might come down on, upon you. That's why he's telling them, if I give you words to speak, speak those words. Don't change them. Now, I wonder, when I think about this, I wonder how many times have people in church been responsible through looks, through words, through things that they are trying to communicate, cause people that have a word from God to alter it. We've got to make sure that we don't alter it. So he goes on. Now I wrote this note down. It's not in your, in your spot there. But many have the opinion that what they feel and what they think is God's Word and thereby speak it. They're of the opinion that what they feel and what they think is, God's, is the Word of God. And they speak it. <clears throat> it is up to us to discern the difference between what I think and what I feel and what is God's Word. And that's a big responsibility on us. We have to make sure that we that we, um, that we hear these things. I remember some years ago that there was a word that God gave me to speak here in this church. And I knew when I got it, it wouldn't be received by everybody. And it's one of those things you kind of you just feel it on the inside of you. Father God, I'll say this if you really want me to, but <laughs> I just know. And um, I'm not going to get into all the details of, about it now. But there was a, a, a time that we taught on the spirit of Antichrist. And I spent time going through the different presidents that we had and how the spirit of Antichrist influenced each one. And as soon as you hit on one that somebody likes, president somebody likes, people get a little, little upset. Every single president that I have seen in my lifetime has been influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. Some more so than others. Now, I'll say this to you. This is not by the Spirit of God. This is just stuff that he's told me. This is not not saying this by the Spirit of God and that God told me I need to say this before God told me I needed to say it. 
And so I said it. And I called some things out when we did that particular thing. I'm not going to get into all that here right now. But I'll say it on this one. That President Trump is the most resistant to the spirit of Antichrist of any president I've seen. Now that will come across as, as hard for some people to hear because we look at some of his words and we say he's a little crash. He's a little hard. He's not uh, that well on versed on the things of God. But in all my years, and I've seen the spirit of Antichrist affect some of my favorite presidents, favorite ones. I've seen it. I could, I could tell when it was going on, that's a wrong spirit. They're giving into it. The first President Bush, if you remember, is the first one who uttered the words, the New World Order. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. And I saw many things that were being done there that was by the, the spirit of Antichrist. Even President Reagan, who had been my all-time favorite, I saw things that were done there. And I know how to recognize the spirit of Antichrist. And other presidents along the way, some were easier to see than others. But I've never seen a president stand up against the spirit of Antichrist, as this one has, which is why there's so much opposition to him. I know that is why I'm praying for him. I'm not saying he's the nicest guy. I'm not saying he's the guy I'd want to befriend. I'm not saying any of those kind of things at all. I'm not trying to say he's a super spiritual person. I wouldn't start trying to say any of that. But I know the spirit of Antichrist. I've studied it throughout. I've, so, I've spent time in here. I think one time we, we did that, as I remember it, I had such shocked looks over my face on some of the things I said. We spent, I think, two or three weeks on it. Just to show you. Because the Old Testament tells you who the Spirit of Antichrist is, and the New Testament tells you who the Spirit of Antichrist is. It's very clear. It's very easy to see. And just because a person is moved by the Spirit of Antichrist does not mean they are the Antichrist. First off, the Antichrist is not going to be a president of the United States. Cannot be. I would never make a case for it. Anyone who would would be wrong because they wouldn't qualify. But that spirit is very strong. Jesus himself said the spirit of Antichrist would be among us. Now that spirit does not try to affect people that are not in power. That spirit of Antichrist tries to affect people that are in power and not just presidents of the United States, presidents, leaders of other countries. That is who that spirit targets. It doesn't target peons. Other spirits might, but not, not that one. The spirit of Antichrist targets those that are in charge. And I have never seen a president more resistant to it than this one. Which surprises me because I know other presidents who knew the Bible better than he did. But that's enough on that. Verse 8. <clears throat> but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and write, written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So what happens here is that God takes this scroll 
and unrolls it. And he's able to see, he's able to read the things that are on it. And he reads them as being lamentations, mourning, and woe. None of that sounds good. This entire book is filled up with bad things. And he is told to eat it. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. He says, don't be rebellious. Don't don't be rebellious like the children of Israel that I'm sending you to. They're a rebellious house. Don't be like them. Open your, your mouth and eat what I give you. Well, has anybody ever tried to put something in your mouth that you didn't want? That you didn't like? You knew you didn't like it. But, uh, but they try and put that in your mouth. Now, there's, I, I know there was time, you know, we were always taught in school that when you go over to somebody's house, eat what they give you. And I tell you what, I did that for a long time. I ate what I was given, and dear Lord. <laughs> but I eventually didn't see any, any return on eating what I was given. And so I finally just said, you know what? If I don't want it, I'm just going to tell them. And I did. So if I come over to your house and you offer me something and I say, I don't like it, I'm not going to eat it. If you want to get offended, that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I forget who taught it to us, but uh, whoever it was, I held on to it for a while. But uh, not anymore. But this is what God's saying. He says, look, I'm going to give you something. Now here, I want you to see what's on it. Lamentations, mourning, and woe. He said, don't be rebellious like these people. I put this in your outline. Your only blanks you got in there. (laughs) Rebellion is not doing. That's what rebellion is. Rebellion is not doing whatever God has said to do. Stiff-necked and stubborn is not hearing. You see, if I don't hear, I can't rebel. Because I didn't hear it. But rebellion is to have heard it. I'm not going to do that. And, and we just decide we're not going to do it. You've seen that in little kids before. When you tell them, don't do that, and they just get that look, watch me. <laughs> That's rebellion. When I'm not going to do what it is that I was being instructed to do. And that's what they're doing. So he says, don't be rebellious like that. I'm going to tell you to do something and you do it. So he said, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. I don't know how God caused him to eat that scroll. I, I've tried to ponder this for a while. But if he, the spirit of God came on him and caused him to be on his feet, I guess the spirit of God can come on him and cause him to chew. I guess that's all I can, all I can come up with. But he said, I opened my mouth. So the first part was his, he had opened his mouth. God put the scroll in there. And according to this, he caused me to eat the scroll. So he eats the book of Lamentations, mourning and woe. And then he's told to go speak. So he says, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So he, he, Eats it, gets it all on the inside, and he goes and speaks. Now, if you have taken in lamentations, mourning, and woe, what kind of things are coming out? 
That's what's going to come out. So if you're going to speak the words of God, and here's the words of the scroll, then the words that God's going to give you are lamentations, mourning, and woe. In other words, you're not going to have a real positive ministry. People are not going to come out of your meetings feeling, oh man, I feel so uplifted. (laughs) He's going to be speaking lamentations, mourning, and woe. This is not describing a particular word he is given. This is describing his call. This is the call of Ezekiel. God is calling him into this ministry during these chapters. So he eats it. Verse uh, 3. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate. And it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Isn't that interesting that something that was lamentations, mourning and woe would be sweetness like honey in your mouth? Not giving any explanation as to why that is. He just said, he's just describing it. When I was eating it, it was sweet like honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to those of the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel is impudent and hard-hearted. And there we see those words switched. But the translation doesn't seem to be switched very much. These words are similar, but not quite the same meaning. Now, God God knows they will not listen to Ezekiel because of this reason he gives in verse 7. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Now, think about that. There are some people in the body of Christ that God has sent to the body of Christ and people refuse to listen to them. Is that because there are some things we are refusing to hear God on? I'm not saying we're refusing to hear God on everything. But you know, there are some things we can refuse to hear God on. Now, you know some people. You know, get outside yourself for a minute. You know some people. They'll hear God perfectly well in the areas of um, righteousness, salvation, things like that. But you get on to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they shut down. And they won't hear the Word of God. We can become, come to a place where I am very good at hearing the words of God on this area, this area, this area, and this area. But as soon as we got over to an area like grace, how many of you have seen some people hearing some stuff on grace that is not God? Everybody is saved. God's not sending anyone to hell. Those kind of things. You know, the, the ultra grace group. Because I'm not hearing the word of God on those things. So we have to be be careful about it. Now I know this to be a... I came into groups with this a long time ago. That I am not called to teach everything in the Word of God. I know it. There are other people who have a calling and they teach some things better than I would. On those things, I just let them go. Um, And if I've mentioned it to you, you know, how many times have I mentioned to you, there's five books in the Bible I really don't teach from. 
And it's not because I don't feel that they have any value. It's because I feel that other people have a better anointing on it. I mean, Psalms is one of them. I teach every, every once in a while, I'll break out and do something on the, on the Psalm, but you very seldom see me break that down, get into any depth in it, simply because I know there's other people out there who teach it better. I just, uh, the anointing that is, that is on me for teaching, I don't feel it real strong when I get into those areas, in the, in the Psalms. And uh, a few other books, and I've mentioned them to you before. I think I told you this story. I had one person got real mad at me when I mentioned that. And all I could say to him was, look, I teach on all these others. There's 66 books in the Bible. I told you five I don't teach from, and the rest of the 61 I teach from pretty extensively. In fact, I teach from more extensively in most 61 than most people, most other people do. I hit topics, I hit chapters that most people have left completely alone. And you're going to pick on me because I told you that there's these five areas that I let other people teach on. I'm not telling you that they're no good. No good. They're fine. They're, they're good. In fact, even one of those, I've, I know enough about it to know that a lot of people are teaching wrong stuff from it. But that still doesn't motivate me to move in to a spot and to, and to do stuff because I know that if, if there's an anointing on your life, stay within that anointing. Don't try and move out into other people's stuff. Don't try and move out. And I saw this. I've, I'm not going to share the whole story with you now, but I've seen this. There was one particular very, very uh, instrumental in my life, uh, very good. And he was, he was not good on a whole lot of topics, but he was good on a few. Really good on a few. I would say about six topics, six or seven topics he was outstanding on. And then he... He left being a traveling minister and being in the evangelist role and decided to take on the role of a pastor. And in my opinion, he went downhill because he had to start teaching on some things that he was not necessarily anointed to and some strange and weird things came out. And uh, it wasn't good. In fact, I had trusted this guy so much that we brought a lot of his materials in and we had them out. And I still remember the person, they're still at church, they haven't moved to any place else. They, and this was decades ago. And we brought in some of the teaching and put it out there on the table and I hadn't listened to it, but I trusted them. And they uh, said, I haven't listened to this. Do you know what's in this series? I said, no, what's in that series? He'd tell me some things. And he was telling me, he said, what? <laughs> so I went and picked the thing up and listened to it, threw the rest of them out. Picked them up, chucked them. Just threw, the, threw them out and told everybody, he said, get rid of them. If you got it, trash it. It isn't worth it. And then we started to, to look a little more um, closely at some of those some of those things. But anyway, his anointing is going to be lamentations, mournings, and woe. That's what God gave him. He may be looking at other things that he wants to teach on, but that's not what God gave him to teach on. That's his anointing. But when you... Remember these, these, these three words. This is his calling. Lamentations, mourning, and woe. That last one in particular, that area of woe, he is going to predict some things in the area of woe that will blow the doors off of other prophets. Incredible what's going to go on here. And some of that is the whole reason I was even excited about teaching this, this book in the, to begin with is because, wow, this is, it, he is, in, in my mind, the most incredible prophet that uh, in the Word of God. He just has some dynamic stuff that he is, he is doing. Anyway, where do we leave off at? Verse 7? Verse 8. Behold, I have 
made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads, like adamant stone harder than flint. I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. What he is basically saying to him is that he has made him a hardhead. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying he's made him a hardhead. Do you know it's not bad to be hardheaded? <laughs> he is saying this. He said, the people you're coming up against, they're stiff-necked and they're hard-headed. But that's alright, because I've made you harder. <laughs> I think that is the most amazing little verse right there. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. So if they give you looks, I'm going to give you a look. I have made your forehead strong against their foreheads. You ever see those pictures or the movies, you know, the cartoons and stuff like that? And you got the two foreheads coming against each other and stuff like that. And finally one backs down. God's saying, I'm going to make your forehead stronger than theirs. Your head's going to be stronger than their head. Do not be afraid of them, nor dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Verse 10, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears, and go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them, and tell them. Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Again, we see that phrase. Boy, is he trying to get this across to him? Don't you be concerned with whether they listen to you. Don't you be concerned with whether they hear or whether they refuse. God keeps repeating it. He wants them to get a hold of this. But he says, first off, receive into your heart. This is the process. This is the part that he needs to do. The first thing is, receive the words that I speak into your heart. Receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. Now, I read that verse and I get a question. Shouldn't you hear first? Shouldn't you hear the word first and then receive it into your heart? But he says receive it into your heart and then hear. You see, if your heart is not right before God, you will not hear the words of God. You've got to first off let those words get down and get your heart right. When your heart is right, when you are in tune in your heart with the things of God, you'll hear. Until that is done, you won't hear. You'll hear your own heart. You'll hear your own feelings. You'll hear what you, what you have your, for yourself to say. And that, uh, that won't be good. You can't be doing that. You remember Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died. Do you know that was a hard year for him? Because he was a favored king of Isaiah. He had a love for oh, sorry, Uzziah. Uzziah was his, like his favorite king. Just imagine you having a favorite president. That was his favorite king. Oh, he loved King Uzziah. And king Uzziah was a good king. He was a good king. And he, he loved him. And when he died, I think he kind of knew where things were going after this. And he just was, he, he was cut to the heart on that. And when he in that, that year Uzziah died and that vision came to him of the things of God, that had helped him, that ministered to him because he could kind of see this whole thing going downhill. 
But that was a favorite one of his. He said, first off, you got to get your heart right. And Isaiah had to get his heart right so that he would hear the things of God. So that's what he says here first. <clears throat> Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So receive it into your heart, hear with your ears. Go and speak. Make sure your heart is right first, otherwise you're going to hear what you want. And there's a whole, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people out there who hear what they want. And they go out there and they say, well, God has said this, and God didn't say it. You gotta be real careful with thus say the Lord. Or that God spoke this to me, or that God said this to me. You gotta be real careful with it. So God says, whether they hear, or whether they refuse. Verse 12, then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice, blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. So this, this vision that he had, the wheels and the wings, everything's, everything's moving and making noise. So the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat. I put in parentheses here for, for me, anger. In the anger of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And then I came to the captives of Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Jabbar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. Now it says here, I went in bitterness and, and then also in the heat of anger. That word there, bitterness, I looked it up. It's used in a lot of different places. If you remember when they came to the, uh, to the water and it was bitter and they called it Marah, well, that's what this word is. The worst word is mar. M-A-R. Well, it is used in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 34 when it says, Esau heard the words of his father and he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. That's when he heard that his brother got the blessing. And he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Sadness despair, loss. That's what's in this word. And so I went in bitterness or I went in sadness, despair and loss and in the anger of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me and then I came to the captives of Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Chabar and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. So can you imagine this? Here comes Ezekiel. He's back from this vision. And he plops himself down among the captives. And is just, just astonished. He's not interacting with them the way that they expect him to interact with them. He's just astonished. And what's, what's going on? What's happening? And I don't, he doesn't seem like he's, he says a whole lot for seven days. He's like that. Imagine the people going on home. What's going on with Ezekiel? I mean, he just doesn't look right. He just sits there. This is kind of weird. You see, he has not operated in a role of a prophet yet. He's just been called to this. And now he sits there in front of them. And he's in awe. 
How would you respond to somebody who's never been a prophet, never spoken the word of the God to you, the way he's going to speak it now, and then all of a sudden he comes back from this great vision when you don't know that he's had this great vision, and he's just astonished sitting amongst you for seven days. How would you respond if somebody sat in an astonished way and didn't move, didn't do anything, just sat there for one day? And then you come back, well, you know, they surely be better by today, and you get on back there the second day, and they're not better. They're, they're the same way. And then a the third day, and a fourth day, and a fifth day, a sixth day, a seventh day. Hmm. Verse 16, Now it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. I don't know how God does that. I don't know how God would require it at your hand. I don't know that Ezekiel knew how God was going to do that. I think he probably just knew this is not good. I think I'll stay away from that. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. So what he's trying to get him to see is this. When I give you a word, once you have that word and it's contained in you, you must speak it out to deliver your own soul. Whether they listen or not, it makes no difference. It's up to you right now. If you want to deliver your own soul, you must deliver the word. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. So if you had a person who was walking in righteousness but got off the path, the prophet is supposed to come over to them and say, hey, you're off the path. Get back on it. Because there are stumbling blocks ahead of him and those stumbling blocks will apparently kill him. And he'll die in his unrighteousness and all the righteousness he had done would be lost. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning also. You will have delivered your soul. So it doesn't matter if the person is righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter if the person will listen or not listen. All that matters is, if I speak to you a word, deliver it. Deliver it to the one that I said. All you got to do. So you got to wonder, why in the world become a watchman? Why would you want to become a watchman when, as a watchman, you got to be up there and you got to watch? That's kind of like if you had a city, old-time city, and you had a watchtower, and you put somebody up in the watchtower, and every time that you'd say, hey, I think something's coming from here, they threw rocks at you. 
Well, why in the world do I want to do this job? But God says, I don't care if they throw rocks at you. I don't care if they look at you funny. I don't care what they do. You're in the watchtower. And I want you to warn them. Now there's a reward for being faithful, isn't there? And God wants him to get the reward for being faithful. And he'll get a watchtower, a watchman's reward, whatever that might be. Because God says, not everybody can be up in the watchtower, but I want you to be up there in the watchtower. And even though there's a, there's a lot of potential for, uh, for judgment to come upon you, there's also a lot of potential for blessing. Remember the parable of the talents. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. He had to have been faithful with a lot of things in order to be now in this place where God says, I am moving you into this position. We saw his history that he was, uh, he came up under the reforms of Josiah, saw the temple be put back into, into shape and was part of the service as a high uh, high priest, well, not, not the high priest, but a priest in, in high order. And whatever it was that God gave him, he was, he was faithful with. He didn't go out there seeking what other people were doing. He did whatever was put in his hands and God saw that and said, Ezekiel, you are ready now to move into this role. I need someone who's going to be the watchman because these people, they are stiff-necked. They won't hear the word that I speak to them. So I need you to hear it and then I need you to speak it exactly the way I give it to you. Don't be trying to say, well, we're going to not tell them this part. We're going to soften this. Don't soften anything. Don't cut anything out. However it is that I said it, it's how I want it to be spoken. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there And he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chabar. And we're in chapter 1. And I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and spoke with me, and said to me, Go shut yourself inside your house. So apparently God, once again, I don't want you down. Get up. And the Spirit of God lifted him up. So God called him to go out into the plain. And the glory of the Lord appeared again. I'll tell you what, having that glory of the Lord appear could be a lifetime, once in a lifetime experience would just would bless us. And here it is. He's had it happen twice in a short period of time. Verse 25, And you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Now that is a puzzling verse. And maybe when you read it over, you just say, well, I guess they're going to bind him up. But we don't really have a place where they did that in the book of Ezekiel. It's not talked about. There are some things that maybe they they hindered him in, in some areas, but it doesn't seem like they did like they had done with Jeremiah and bound him up with ropes. But that's what it says here. O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you up with them so that you cannot go out among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that they, that, so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let him hear, he who refuses, let him refuse. 
for they are a rebellious house. So who will put the ropes on him? Well, that word they that is there, it's kind of open. But I don't know that it has to be the children of Israel. What if it's they, some of the other company that is there in the, in the presence of the glory of God? Because it seems that God is the one who's keeping his tongue from being able to speak. It seems that God is the one who's going to have him be almost in a mute state. And that God is going to be the one who's going to loosen his tongue and let him speak. And that God is the one who says, I don't want you to warn him yet. You warn him when I tell you to warn him. But you see, he is so motivated by love for the people of Israel that if he sees a problem, he may want to go out there prematurely and tell them. This is what the word of God is for you guys. And God says, don't tell them yet. You tell them when I tell you to tell them, not before. So maybe the ropes that bind them are the ropes that come from God. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out as another, another possibility. But notice this about this, about this, this man, Ezekiel. And I'll tell you what, Ezekiel, there is no prophet that seems to have his life taken over by the call as much as Ezekiel does. And when we get into the, the things that, are, that go on, you're going to see a prophet who, we're not talking about a day was affected. We're talking about years were affected. There were entire years wrapped up in one word. One word to the children of Israel would sometimes tie him up in a demonstration for over a year. At one point, God is going to say, lay on your side for 360 days. And that was for a sign for the, the people in the north. And he says, after you got done that, lay on your other side for 40 days. Can you imagine having to lay on your side for 400 days? When you get more into the prophecy, you're going to see that's not all he had to do during those days. The call on his life is heavy. It is all-encompassing. It dominates his life like the call of no other prophet that I know of. He has no normal life. He can have no normal friends. There doesn't seem to be room for a wife, a family. There seems to be no room for him to have anything at all. His entire life is dominated by this call. Like no prophet I know of in the Word of God. Many want a greater call from God. But not many are willing to give up the comfort that's required. You see, the greater the call that God puts in your life, the more comfort you're going to sacrifice. How much comfort did Jesus give up for his call? How much comfort did Paul lose because of the call in his life? The greater the call that is on our life, the more of this world's comforts we are going to lose. They're just not conducive to it. And in Ezekiel, we will see someone who gave up more comfort as a sign to the children of Israel than any prophet I know. And the people did not appreciate it. One thing you will notice as we go on through this book and even as you think of others, 
Everything that Ezekiel does is so that the Word of God would be brought to the captives of Israel. Everything he does, from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed, everything he eats, how he cooks his food, where he is, where he stays, whether he's bound up in a house or out in the elements, not able to move, not able to go anywhere. Everything is for a demonstration to these people. And not once during the life of Ezekiel do we see that any of these people even appreciate it, even care. That one man would be willing to give up every comfort in life so that they could hear the word of God. Ezekiel is an amazing prophet. He sees some things and writes down some prophecies that will blow the, your doors off, as we told you. But it came at a price. A lot of times we look at these great calls and, boy, oh, that's what I want to do. But they come with a price. I'm not sure that we're all called to pay that price. Don't take on a call that you haven't been given. But one thing I do know is that people who are paying the price, I will respect them. I will receive what it is that they get. One of the people I surely have such great respect for that's uh, around today, Brother Rick Renner. You know, we support many of the things that he does over in the Soviet Union. You all have had a hand in that for many, many years. The things that are going on there. How many have ever ever read his book, Point of No Return? Anybody not read that book yet? Point of No Return? If you haven't, read it. It is, it is a fantastic book. I think we still have a few copies over here, but you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it digitally, however that you want to get it. And you will find a person who gave up an awful lot of comfort in life, who put himself and his family at risk, who went all in, over and over and over. It has some great stories to tell about it. But I'll tell you, I, I think about some of those stories and some of the things he was going through at the time he was going through it. And just think, wow. But look at the, the great things that have been going on over there in the Soviet Union. But that great call had a great price. Rick Renner, R-E-N-N-E-R. The book was Point of No Return. I read all of his books. I always do. Whenever a new book comes out, I, I get hold of it and read it. He is a wonderful author to write. And whenever I can find a new message of his, I always make sure I take time for it. <laughs> now, you may not like all the details of your call. You may not have a call that's as heavy as Ezekiel, but you have a call that's going to put you on... <laughs> places of being uncomfortable at times. I couldn't write this in your outline, but you can write it in there if you want. You may not like all the details of your call, but then again, neither may God. Do you know that God may not like the details of the calling He has to put you in? 
God may not have liked the details of the calling he had to put Ezekiel in. But how many times did he say to him, I am sending you to a rebellious house? He had to tailor the call for the people he was going to minister to. He didn't tailor the call for what God wanted him to do. He had to tailor the call to minister to the people he was going to. And God didn't want them to be a rebellious people, stiff-necked, hard-hearted. He didn't want them to be that way. But they were. And so the way to get, he had to, do to, to get through to them was I need somebody who's going to be tougher. I need somebody who's going to be, be hard right back to them. And so this is what I need you to do in the call in order for us to have any effect on this people. So God may not like the details of the call that He has put, you, put upon you. But the call and the details are necessary for the people that we're sent to. All I know is I got to make sure that I keep my heart in a place where He doesn't have to call somebody like an Ezekiel to get to me. <laughs> I got to make sure that He doesn't need to go through all those kind of things that I'm willing to hear. And I'm able to hear. I'm able to listen. Father, we thank you for the call that you have put on our life. I know they're not nearly as encompassing. Nowhere near as encompassing as what's on Ezekiel. Even on what's on Jeremiah or an Isaiah or a Paul. But Father, it's the call that you put us into. It's a call that you have need of and you have tailored that call for the people that we are sent to. And all of us are sent to some. I thank you, Father, that we can live up to the call and we can do what it is that you need us to do. You have equipped us and as you told Ezekiel, they will know that a prophet was among them. And I pray, Father, that with every place where we are performing the call of God, that the people will know that a man or a woman of God was among them. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.